Another year stretches before us, as you know, I said that last week. Um, most of us, I would say this morning that uh, we're praying that uh, 21 is better than 20. Is there an amen to that effect? God turns over a new leaf and offers us fresh every year, 12 more months, 52 weeks in one day this year, 365 days, 8,760 hours, 525,600 minutes, 31,536,000 seconds to use for him and his glory. You know, we talk about, we, we talk about tithe and talents and time and treasure, and you think about all that time that God has given us as his children, how much we actually do, do for him. For us to be successful in 2021 as followers of Christ, we, we've got to follow the instructions. That's the title of this message. Please follow the instructions. Let me paint this scenario for you this morning. How many dads and grandparents or grandfathers Fathers would pretty much do anything for your kids, pretty, pretty much, wouldn't it? So let me paint this scenario. You have promised over a few weeks or maybe even months that this next grandchild or next child's birthday, you're going to get them a swing set. But you make this fatal mistake. You wait to the day before the birthday to put that bad boy together. If, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, it, 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 was a, it was a fatal mistake, actually, because when you get that all in these boxes and stuff, somewhere on that box it will say, some assembly required. That is the biggest misnomer. What, that's an understatement if I, I've ever seen one. It, uh, but nonetheless, I, when I used to buy stuff for, for kids. Uh, I'd always want the floor model. Man, you can't talk them out of it. I don't care what it is. Because of the floor model, you don't have to do anything. You just got to throw it in the car and bring it home. But they they, they want to give you that, um, ones that you have to put together yourself. Here's, here's a Christian comedian by the name of Darren Strublow. He, he kind of emphasizes this. Of course, it's, he wants to be funny, so unlike your pastor. Let's watch this. I know sometimes when people watch this online, you can't get the videos, but that's a YouTube video. You just type in Darren Strublow, and it'll come up, and you can watch it if you want. I think a lot of us has been here before. Um, if you've ever tried to put a swing set together, they come with instructions. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not big on instructions. <laughs> I like to get stuff done and get it put together, but that's part of the problem sometimes. Um, we don't take the time, and it kind of gets us in bad. I've heard different testimonies that people had things in their life that wasn't Christ-like, so they wanted to give it up. Um, about the only thing that, that when I came to, to Jesus, I, I had a pretty broadened vocabulary, if you get my drift. But God, God took that come from me cold turkey. Uh, even now, if I smash my finger or whatever, I don't, I, I don't know. It's just I try to, I try to got it, get it completely out of my mind and heart, and that's happened. But, on the other hand, if there's, there's three things that want to make a preacher cuss, one of them's putting string in a weed trimmer. I know weed trimmers have come a long way, but some, some of us still have those, and 
you take that time and get that almost wound and something happens and it unravels and you have to do it over again. Golf, uh, golf will make you want to say some words maybe that you shouldn't. I've seen some great fits on golf courses, even in my own family. Actually, I'm not mentioning any names, but I only have one boy. But anyhow, <laughs> I shouldn't tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyhow. Up by Mount Carroll where we lived, there was a place called Lake Carroll uh, that all these folks, a lot of wealthy folks from Chicago would come over and build real big homes in these hills and hollers, and they had this real nice 18-hole golf course. So Josh and I, uh, the director of the whole denomination, Lance was standing there on the tee, and here comes these two golf carts up behind us, uh, real nice golf clothes and the whole ball of wax. And they stopped to watch. <laughs> Josh hit three balls in the water and then went the clubs. Uh, he just started throwing, started kicking that bag around. The two, the two other carts put it in reverse, backed up, and went to another hole. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some great... I, that has nothing to do with this message, but it, anyhow, I just thought I'd throw it in, in, in there because it's a little amusing. The third thing is putting a swing set together. Um, I don't know if it's just me, but like I said, sometimes men have a tendency not to, uh, not to look at instructions because maybe it's our ego or whatever. I don't need any stinking instructions. And then you put something together and it looks like a death trap. It doesn't even look like a swing set. So your wife comes out and in the classic words of Job's wife, why don't you just curse God and die? Then you reach for the instructions, and uh, after a while, you put it together. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, you're finished, and you get down to the last couple parts, and they aren't, they aren't there. It, it might work okay with assembling a child's toy or whatever, but when we miss instructions like that in life, it can, the consequences can be irrevocable. And when it comes into spiritual being in our lives, it could have everlasting consequences, actually. The Corinthian people were assembling their lives without following God's instructions because they thought they knew best, actually. So Paul writes them this letter under the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, using an example from the past, the Hebrew children in the wilderness, Paul says, stick to the guidelines if, if, it's, if you're going to be all right. But they, um, they didn't. As we read this, sometimes we think, boy, Paul, that's a little harsh. But you know what? Sometimes we, we get so callous in our spiritual lives that we need some harshness. We need tough love to come in and maybe wake us up a little bit or peel a little of that callous off of, off of our hearts sometimes. Paul starts out in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, what happened to our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. God guided all of them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them, and he brought them all safely through the waters of the sea on dry ground. As followers of Moses, they were all baptized in the cloud and the sea, and all of them ate the same miraculous food, and all of them drank the same miraculous water for they all drank from the miraculous rock that tra traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet after all this, 
God was not pleased with most of them, and he destroyed them in the wilderness. These events happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. For the scripture says the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged themselves in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Not should, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did, for this is why God sent his angel of death to destroy them. All these events happened to them as example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the time when this age is drawing to a close. Verse 5, yet after all this, God was not pleased with most of them. That's, that's a wild thought, hundreds of thousands of people. Here's the privileges experienced by the Hebrews. Paul rewinds the tape, so to speak. He wants to go back and show the Corinthians how the children of Israel were, that they were kind of like them at this time in their lives and they needed to live godly lives. Paul concentrates on five of the Hebrews' great privileges and one was supernatural guidance. Although they might have thought they were wandering aimlessly in the desert, they weren't. Paul said in verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. This is the amazing thing about what the children of Israel experienced. 24-7, they could see God. In the day, it was a pillar of cloud. At night, all they had to do was lift that tent flap up, and they saw God. I can't imagine. A lot of us now want to see God, but here's the point. When the Holy Spirit came, we're supposed to see Jesus in each other. That, that's the, and, and, and with his word, that is the guidance that he gave us. But I can't picture in my mind what that would have been like. Maybe it would have, it, it should have helped them live a little better lives if they knew God was, was right there, but it, it, didn't, it didn't matter. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Verse 1. That is a, that's, it was called the Shekinah glory of God, the visible glory of God. Second privilege, supernatural deliverance. Paul also says that the Hebrews passed through the sea. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind at night. All night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Every physical law said that they probably should have drowned, but God did a miracle here that they walked through the sea and their feet didn't even get wet. Third privilege, supernatural leadership. Another way the Hebrews' privilege was godly leadership they enjoyed under Moses. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, 1 Corinthians 10.2. This doesn't mean that Moses held a baptism service. Bab baptized comes from the Greek word baptizo, which carries the idea of identi identifying with something else. So when we're baptized as believers, we ad we're identified with Christ. In Paul's day, if you wanted to have a garment dyed a different color, you would take it to a merchant who would baptize it, dip it to change its identity. 
The Israelites had been spiritually dipped in a union with God and with Moses and his leadership. Exodus 14:31. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Fourth privilege, supernatural food. All ate the same spiritual food. 1 Corinthians 10:3. Paul is referring to manna six days a week. Every day God fed his people, and they gathered enough on the day before the Sabbath to take them through the Sabbath, but they couldn't keep it any longer because it rot. But it was always there, and they knew every day that it was going to be there. The food was not only physically nourishing to the Hebrews, but also a symbol of the body of Christ, which would be broken for them to restore their souls. Of course, that's what we do. We take communion. This body was broken for you, Jesus said. Fifth privilege, supernatural drink. When the food came, the privilege of God sent water. 1 Corinthians 10, 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. So here's a perfect illustration. The pre-incarnate presence of the Lord Jesus, even before he took human flesh, he had a hand in the affairs of his people. In this case, providing them with all the water that they needed. You remember what Jesus told the lady at the well of Samaria. You drink from me and you'll never thirst again. You know, in our lives, God blesses us. And I think every provision that he puts in our lives is a provision of grace because he loves us. Everything that we have good in our lives from him, is a, there's a touch of salvation in it. We should... We should feel this subtle stirring of his grace all around us, and I, I hope you do that. Here was God's lesson for the Corinthians, and they are the same for us here in this place this morning. You think that a people as blessed as the Hebrews would have responded to God with thanksgiving and obedience, but that wasn't the case. After listing their many blessings, Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 10:5, nevertheless, was most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Of the hundreds and thousands of Israelites, there was only two, Joshua and Caleb, out of the whole bunch that pleased God. You know what's interesting in that? Moses is not even mentioned. And you know why? Because he was disobedient. God told him to touch a rock and the water would flow. Moses was ticked off at the people, so he took that his staff and whacked that rock. That wasn't God what, what God wanted, so God wouldn't let him cross over the river. <laughs> he wouldn't let him go in the promised land. On a massive scale in the world of how many followers of Christ there are, I wonder how, you can, wonder how many you can narrow, narrow that down to and say that they are pleasing God. I think it, that's, that's, that's staggering to me. God wasn't happy with them. I think there are days when he's not happy with me either. I don't know about you, but at least I'm, I can admit it. It's a tragedy in our spiritual lives sometimes when we go days or weeks and not really hang out with God. And I think every night we should, before we go to sleep, we should get in touch with him and say, Lord, I'm going to please you today should be our main 
directive in life is to please God. Frederick Godet states, he talks about the bodies of those hundreds of thousands of people that were strewn across the wilderness floor. And I quote, what a spectacle is that which is called up by the apostle before the eyes of the self-satisfied Corinthians. All those bodies sated with miraculous food and drink, strewing the soil of the desert. Why does Paul mention that? Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age, ages have come. He wanted to, for us to know, the Corinthians to know, and for us to know that the example of having privileges doesn't guarantee successful living. You need God's instructions in our lives to, and to live a godly life and that, that, that's the point. Here's five directives that he gives the Corinthians. So he, he set this example about the children of Israel, and now he wants to bring it to the Corinthians, which in turn, writing the New Testament, he, he brings it to us, actually. Number one, do not crave evil things. The first step to God's instructions is found in verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. It's a small attitude is what he's talking about here, that, that craving that we have, we have for, for evil and, and being ungrateful in vast blessings that God has given us, and they were the same way. The Israelites forgot quickly about the taskmaster's whips in Egypt and that they were slaves. So they get out on the trail, and on numerous occasions they'd say, man, oh man, I wish we were back in Egypt. Didn't matter they was getting beat. Who knows what happened? We, we know of, of some of the hideous results of slavery and what that entails. But they was worried about their bellies. Even though God was feeding them, they didn't have to turn a tap to get it. They didn't have to get up and work to nine to five. They just went outside their tent and picked it up, ready to eat. But they wanted to go back to Egypt. They missed the onions and the leeks and the garlics, and the vegetables, and on and on and on. I think God has a sense of humor sometimes. He sent quail. They want meat. So he sent quail and they gorged themselves on it and made themselves sick. <laughs> That was a, that's, that's an inter, interesting sidebar with that. Do not crave evil things. And we live in a world, we're surrounded by it. You don't have to go very far. You can turn on the TV, get on the internet. It's there. It's constant. Do not crave evil things. Second guideline or instruction that he gives is do not be idolatrous. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. An idol is anything that we place in our lives. We take Jesus off the throne and we put that idol there. It's anything that seizes the adoration that belongs to God. It can be a parent, a child, a spouse, a friend, a reputation, a goal, a job, money, anything that takes God's seat on the throne of our hearts. And I think if we're honest that we go time to time that we replace 
God for things till we come to our senses and the Holy Spirit beats the door of our heart down. We confess and put Jesus back up there. I think it's an up and down situation in our lives. Number three, do not become immoral. Let us not act immorally as some of them did. Suggesting a process, it begins with an evil attitude that continues with the substitution of other things in God's place and results in immorality. You know, that's the thing about sin. We entertain it too long and it becomes into reality. One thing you need to get, deal with it right when it comes in your mind. Number four, do not try the Lord. Questioning God's faithfulness is providing for them. The Hebrews ask, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? God's response was not a warm one, verse 6. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Another time, God sent fiery serpents in to, to bite them, and they had to make a serpent and put it on a pole. And it was, a, was, a like, it was like us looking to the cross and to Jesus. If they looked at that serpent, they would be on the pole. They would be healed, actually. Daring God to come through with his promises, it shows a lack of faith. It doesn't say that we have great faith. And from the look of what's happening to the Hebrews, it's a serious thing in God's eyes. I think we do that with spouses and people we love. If you loved me, you'd do this. If you loved me, you'd buy me this. And the last one, number five, is do not grumble. Finally, there was... A brash, caustic reaction that poured from the Hebrews' hearts when they didn't get what they wanted. They complained bitterly and relentlessly. Now, I know there's nobody in this room today that ever complains when they don't get what they want. The last instruction Paul gives is not to grumble as some of them did. And for their grumbling, God judged the Hebrews harshly. What's he do to us? Scripture tells us that God chastises those he loves, his children. I've, and I've shared this with you the last 22 years. I've struggled with this. What is that? What's God do? Does he make us sick? Does he take things from us? He can. But you know what I do believe with all my heart is the biggest chastisement. When you sin, you create consequences. And he's not going to get you out of them. I've asked. <laughs> I've dug myself some pretty deep holes and worn it out. You look up at the top of the hole, and there's God looking back and say, hey, big guy, you crossed this. I didn't do it. It's not my fault. I'll come down around that hole with you. Maybe we can hang out and discuss some things, but... I'm not getting you out of it. That, 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 I could, I could uh, cite example after example after example of when that's happened. I've had people in my study before praying for God to get them out of something that they created. It's, and it, it could happen. Maybe on rare occasion it does. But that's when it comes to us. And it's, we, we know how we should live. We know that we should pray. We know that we should confess our sin. 
we know that we should try to get along with everybody and forgive each other. But when we don't do that, and when we stray and we don't read the word and we don't pray, you get to feel a little miserable. And then we have the audacity to blame God for that. That's amazing to me. It's on me. That's, that's, that's the way that it works. Jesus summarizes the whole point of this lesson that Paul taught in Luke 12, 48. And from everyone who has been given much, much shall be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. The Hebrews, the Corinthians, us, we're all prime examples of people God has seen fit to privilege. And what he asks in return is a gracious spirit and obedient heart. When we sin, the Holy Spirit grips our hearts and conviction comes. And, and we have choices. We've got two choices, actually. The first choice is we can stick our fingers in our spiritual ears and not listen and not do what God asks. If that happens, then a lot of times we become miserable and we don't get anything out of church or worship because we got there's a wall that we've built in there between us and God. Or two, we can repent and confess and feel free and get back to where we need to be with Christ again. That's, that's the choices that, that we have. So if we had the way to do that, if we could open up your heart and put it on the big screen and all of us could see what was in each other's hearts, would, would any of them look like deserts? And would any of them have cactus in them with spikes on them and thorns that need to be taken off? The Holy Spirit can see that. Just remember God's responses to the Hebrews' wilderness sins. They were severe and unalterable. We need to come to Christ in our lives on numerous occasions and get that straightened back out, actually. You know, in Israel, the Jordan River starts up Mount Hermon and the snows melt and it runs down and it's clear and it's nice and runs on down through Israel and uh, goes into the Sea of Galilee and then it goes into the Dead Sea and then it stops and everything in that Dead Sea is dead. That's why they call it that. Uh, we were over there at 16 and you can get into the Dead Sea and the salt and the mineral content is so large that you float and you don't sink. It's just kind of strange actually. Can you imagine in your life, regardless of how long you've been a believer, how many blessings that God has poured into your life? And the question is, do they flow through you? Does his love and compassion and the gifts that he's supernaturally given you, are you using them? Do, does it flow through you? And I think sometimes we, we, get, we get full of those blessings if we don't let them out and they spoil like milk. We had an old Pontiac Bonneville one time. Diane went to get groceries, and I think it was a, it was a, half, I think it was a half gallon of milk, maybe. Well, it got out of the sack and got under the seat. We didn't find that milk. It found us. Because in that spoils, it's pretty, it's pretty gruesome. And everybody had gotten that car after that said, man, what's that smell? I said, I don't know. You have to ask Diane. Oh, but that, I, think, I think we're like that. We, we need that outflow 
of God's blessing out of our lives as it comes in. It's like being spiritually saturated. You're full. And so when you're full, you hear new stuff, and sometimes it's hard to take it in. If, if that be the case, first, we need to recognize and confess and forsake whatever is keeping us from God. Second, deal severely with your inner attitudes. Third, listen to what you're saying. Pay attention to your choice of words. Are they cutting? Are they cynical? Are they bitter? Are they coarse? Luke 6, 45. A good person produces good deeds from a good heart, and an evil person produces evil deeds from an evil heart. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. And that's pretty much the way it is. Five stages. The Hebrews and the Corinthians experienced in their rebellion against God. Maybe one, you're in one of these stages and something needs to be adjusted today. Our attitude, our idolatry, our immorality, our distrust, and our grumbling and complaining. You know, I pretty much say this every Sunday. It's, I just want you to be honest with God. If we're all honest with him this morning, uh, as the band comes and, and we close out, the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, and then you have those two choices. You either listen, you ignore him, and I pray this morning that you listen. Lord, we love you. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the guidance and direction that you offer to us if we just reach out to you and take it. I pray for each one of us here this morning, Lord, myself included. We're not perfect people, and I know we can't dwell on that fact. But we got to understand that part of our lives that as we live in this imperfect world, we're human, and we can't use that for an excuse either, but we do make mistakes. There are times when we crave evil. You brought us out of that mud hole and cleaned us up, but boy, there's a lot of times when we get depressed or we get down, we get away from you, it sure looks inviting, and we want to go waller in it. So keep us strong, Lord, in you. And I pray this morning as you speak to our hearts that we're just honest. If you uncover some sin or something in our life that shouldn't be there, if our attitude stinks, whatever it is, Holy Spirit, as you grip our hearts, may we be obedient and respond. We love you, God, and we give you praise and glory for being such a good, good father and taking so much time and patience and grace with us. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.